Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Um, this is your first time here. Uh, you picked a great Sunday to be here. Uh, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and uh, grateful that you're spending uh, a birthday celebration with us. And so if this is your first birthday or your eighth birthday, um, actually, how many of you guys were here for the first birthday? Anyone here? Yeah, that's so cool. Um, what about, is this your first birthday here with us? Oh, awesome, y'all. So happy birthday. Happy birthday. Um, I wanted to show you guys uh, a video uh, here on the front end um, of just some faces uh, over the last eight years that represent some incredible stories. And, um, and I just want you to see this birthday video and then get into the content here this morning. You know, I love that video. Um, here's why. Every single one of those photos represent a story of someone. And... Um, you know, we celebrate, as Lacey said earlier, we're, we're celebrating uh, today, but what we're celebrating is not us. Uh, we're celebrating all that God has done uh, over this la last eight years. What you see in that video is, um, we, you know, for those of you that were around a long time ago, like we started off in a whole different space that was a lot smaller. Even when you saw the first picture of, we had no Ruby at, at that point in time. It was just, you know, it was, it was just Max and Nevaeh, and they were tiny. And, um, but just to see the growth that has happened, is also to see how many weird things we've done as a church. Um, but uh, um, it's so amazing to see when, when God's doing something new, um, new in our hearts, new in uh, bringing new people in, and that this idea of something new is such a, um, a big theme. And so in this series of being devoted, what does it mean to actually follow Jesus and to fall in love with Jesus? I wanted to take today, because we've been looking at some different things each week, you know, and like we talked about the fear of the Lord, we talked about don't make the name of the Lord common, uh, the sacredness of this gathering. Uh, we've talked about having expectations. Last week we've talked about discovering truth, and, and this week I want to talk about like expecting something new and, and wanting to, to engage something new. Uh, how many guys like to buy new things? Yeah, yeah, a bunch of greedy little, no. Um, <laughs> No, but there's something like cool, like when you get a new shirt, a new outfit, new shoes, whatever, a new house, a new car, whatever it is. Um, there's something cool about being something new or a new relationship. There's something that, that happens. Um, I was thinking about trying like new foods. Uh, Lacey and I are not equally yoked on trying new foods. When we go to a restaurant um, that we frequently go to, I just get the same thing, y'all. Like I just, you know why? Is anyone else like that? Come on, you're my people. So... Here's why, like, I, because we're paying for it, and I want to know that I'm going to like it, right? Like, so that's just kind of how I think about it. And so, I'm um, like, when we go to this place, was, we go to the Continental, I get the Fellini burger every time, and I just love it. And, uh, but Lacey will try something new, like, every so often, and guess what? Sometimes she whiffs, and I'm like, oh, I hate that I'm paying for that meal, right? Or that we're paying for this meal that you don't like. Um, but then sometimes, though, she discovers something new that she loves, in this new experience and this new food and it brings a new whole thing to this whole restaurant, right? And, and that's what I think God is up to right now. Um, in a season that's been really hard where people are languishing, so to speak, this is, that's a term that Adam, this guy Adam Grant uses, um, but that people, uh, it's been hard through the crisis, through the pandemic and everything. The thought of something new can be a, a little bit daunting because of like, gosh, I just... You know, I've been, I've been holding on, I've been stuck in this, and, and it's like, man, the idea of something new sounds great, but I'm really tired, right? Um, but here's the thing. I do believe God wants to do something new. Um, I think he wants to do something new in you personally, but then also new in us uh, as a community. And that actually goes along with uh, kind of the flow of Scripture. Uh, you turn to the first page of the Bible, and God is doing something new. 
He's having this new creation. And then you go just a few chapters later, and it's interesting, you know, humans being humans, they ruin the creation. And um, what ends up happening is, is God steps in, and there's kind of like this decreation moment, but then the flood happens, and there's something new that happens. There's this new creation. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, uh, this guy named Abraham, uh, there's this new people, this new grouping of people that are coming up in Exodus. The entire book of Exodus is about this God liberating his people and bringing them into this new promised land. There's something new. There's something new. There's something new that God is always doing. And um, I know a lot of times people are like, well, what about Ecclesiastes where there's nothing new underneath the sun? And I'm like, yeah, in theory, what they're saying is about some core elements of just people. There's nothing new. But God does new things. Did you know that? He wants to do something new in you. That same old thing that might have gotten you to a certain point. He wants to do something new in you. But we have to be open to begin to see it. And so here are a few things that in Scripture. I just want to highlight some commonalities when God is doing something new um, that we see. One, that there's a recognition of what's happening in culture and how it undermines God's word. So whenever God is about to do something new, it's a grouping of people that are seeing what's happening. They're reading the times around them. And they're able to, to figure out, hey, there's something that's undermining the, the word of God. Um, there's a small but faithful remnant of people now, I know sometimes people look at our church like, it's not a small church in for Richmond, that's true. But if you think about the, the fullness of Richmond, okay, and the 1.2 million people that are in the Richmond area, uh, you know, the you know, 2,000 people or so that call Hill City home, you know, you think about that for a second, and you're like, in the scheme of things, we're kind of small. And, and so we, start, we have to start thinking about like, all right, there's a small remnant of people that, that kind of come together with just such great faith. The third thing you see is a deep concern to hear the voice of God. And that's what we're going to actually concentrate on today is this deep concern to hear the voice of God. There are voices that you hear and you automatically know who they are. You know, if I were to play a clip of Morgan Freeman, everyone would kind of know that. They'd be like, is that God? Or is that, you know, but like there's like a, there's an element where we uh, know certain voices. And the last one there, and this is what we'll talk about next week, is generous communities uh, and partnerships. And so, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, I want to start off with talking about this, uh, this passage in Isaiah 43 that talks about something new happening. Um, this prophet Isaiah, so if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, they had these prophets in, in the Bible, and these prophets would receive uh, the word of God. Now, listen, they took it very seriously. If someone ever said, I've got a word from the Lord, have you guys ever heard that phrase? Someone's like, I got a word from the Lord. Um, current culture in the church world, people say that too flippantly. They're like, I got a word from God for you. And I'm like, do you? How did you test that sucker? Because like you don't actually know, right? Back then what would happen is if they were considered a prophet, their words would get tested. And, uh, and if they, they said something was from God and it wasn't, um, they were typically killed. Okay, so, so this is no joke. So when someone's like, uh, if someone comes to you, I have a word from the Lord for you, you should say like, are you ready to die? If it's not, no, don't do that. That's not how it works. But like, but there, there's this piece of like the seriousness of, of what it meant to, to say I have a word from the Lord in that, that there, it, was t it was tested over time to begin to see like, oh, there is some kind of special connection that this prophet has and was deemed a prophet of God. So Isaiah was one of these prophets. And so um, up until the point that we're going to get to in this passage, they've been talking about uh, he's like, I received this word from the Lord, and here's the word from the Lord. And it's this whole section about who God is. 
like what he's done, how he's before every other God, more powerful than any God. He's, and all the, all the stuff he's done to like help liberate and save his people. And then we come up on this, this passage in Isaiah 43, and it says this. It says, forget the former things. So I want to highlight this. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. You see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, all right, so this is God speaking. He's like, now it springs up, and he asks this question. Do you not perceive it? Like, it's, it's happening around you. So this isn't even like a, it's going to spring up. It's like, no, it, it's actually happening all around you. And he's like, do you not perceive it? Do you not see it? Do you not understand what, what, what's actually happening? He says, I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You start thinking about this moment where God is talking to these people and he's like, do you not understand my voice? Do you not hear my voice? Are you not able to hear the things that I'm saying? Because, because since you can't, like you can't actually perceive what's happening around you. All of these things that God is doing. And he's like, if you don't understand how to hear and listen to the voice of God, then we'll miss out on what he's doing around us. I mean, think about this for a second. God is always up to something. Like, even in your life, he is doing something. Even when we think uh, he's absent from our life, or even when we think, man, it's been a while since we've connected, he is doing something in you, trying to do something in you, but also he's doing things around you. It's fascinating, even when people get really negative and critical, it's, it's unbelievable, because if you take a step back for a second, it's like, whoa, look at all that God is doing. Even when you feel like, man, things have like gotten so evil. I know sometimes people look at the culture around us like, it's so bad, it's so evil, it's so, man, I, you know, and, and I'm like, I, I guess, I don't know. It's always been evil. It's always been bad. I think we look back at certain times and be like, you remember back in the 40s when it was like, it wasn't like this. I was like, I guess, but people were like super racist. You know what I mean? And so like, there, there's like all this stuff that you're just like, I don't know, man. Like, it's always been evil. It's always been bad. There's always been elements to this. And, and it's like, but God's always doing things. And it's like, well, who are going to be the remnant of people? Who are going to be the, the faithful people? Who are going to be the sensitive people that are trying to really hear the voice of God so that we can perceive what God is doing? Can you imagine going about your life and, and having this intimate knowledge of what God is doing because you know his voice? You know what he's trying to say. Can you imagine going to work and being like, oh man, I'm just so in tune with the voice of God. Can you imagine going to school and being in class? Like, I'm so in tune uh, with the voice of God. I can perceive what he's doing around us. I don't know about you, but um, there are certain people that seem to be like more in tune with the voice of God sometimes. And you know, you'll be with them and they'll be in a scenario and they'll, they'll, they'll say something like this. Man, I just feel like I'm supposed to go talk to that person. And you're like, really? Like, I, what, what makes you feel that way? It's like, I don't know. I'm just supposed to go, like, talk. And, like, you turn around, and they're just, like, crying together, like, three minutes later. And you're like, oh, yeah, I was, I was supposed to go talk. There's something about the voice of God and being in, in tune with the voice of God that allows us to perceive not only what he wants to do in us, but to perceive what he's doing in the world uh, around us. Now, what stops us from, from hearing the voice of God? I want to highlight a few things. Um, the first thing is uh, you want out of a transition, 
Part of what was happening in this Isaiah passage is the people of God were in this transitional period. Um, they had different kings and a lot of stuff was going on. And, um, and, and being in a transition time is really hard, isn't it? Um, how many guys like transitions? Yeah, it's like, like you know, you, it's very rare for someone to be like, you know what I really love when my life gets turned upside down? And so we go through different transitions. I actually, you know, I think the toughest transition is um, college to, like, getting out of college. Because you, know, you, you have, like, the whole school time, and then you go through college, which is, like, you never get that time back. So those college students in here, like, cherish those years, those four, seven years, however long you'll be there. Um, cherish those years. Um, they are so wonderful. But when you come out, I think it's one of the bigger, like, those transition periods, like, really hard. It's really hard because so much is shifting and, and changing. But there are so many other things that cause, like, interesting transitions. You might have a job transition. Um, you might be going through a relationship transition that was really difficult. Uh, you might be um, going through a divorce and a transition of life um, like that. There are all these transition times. Now, here's what's interesting about the transition. You, you have a choice in the time of transition to either have God with you in it or to ignore God in it. So can you go through the transition with God in it with you, or you can choose to ignore God in that moment? And so a lot of times when uh, what stops us from hearing the voice of God is we actually don't want God with us in the transition, and we're trying to, to actually run away from the transition or avoid it altogether. Uh, a second thing that we see here is um, a lack of prayer life, a lack of prayer life. We'll talk about this on a deeper level um, at a different point, but um, we have a lack of prayer life. Um, Praying and communicating with God builds your understanding relationally. Um, it's just like any other relationship. Like the more you talk with someone, the more you get to know them, right? And so if, if Lacey and I, you know, we've been married for 21 years, if, if we didn't talk, we would have a pretty crappy marriage. But what is it? When you, when you end up at talking with people, um, you get to know them at a deeper level. A, a third thing is you get stuck in the past. You get stuck in the past. Now, what's interesting is we live in kind of the first generation of time where uh, being young or things that are younger are kind of idolized. Um, there was a time where growing older, you were looked at as having great wisdom. Um, growing older uh, was like a benefit because you've been through some stuff. Um, growing older uh, meant that there was like good tra uh, traditions that you uh, were a part of. Um, now we live in this kind of bizarre time frame where everything needs to be young, right? Like so you even think about what people do for their looks. Everything has to be young. Uh, when people are trying to like think about like new technology and new whatever, it's like it's about being young, about being young. And the new technology stuff is funny because like that's interesting, but it's just tomorrow's garbage, right? Um, but like, but we get stuck in like the past though. There's just like this kind of balance because you don't want to dishonor what had come before you, but we can get stuck in the past. Like sometimes, like I get it, like style and fashion comes back around every like 15 to 20 years or so. Like even like now some things that have happened, I'm like, yeah, I mean like we saw that in the early 90s. Like, and it didn't work then either, right? Like you have like crazy, you have crazy pictures, but like that stuff just, that stuff happens um, or you can get stuck in the past um, and you think like, man, like, like, let me just, whatever happened to me or who I used to be, you're kind of grasping for who you used to be rather than trying to hear who God wants you to be. You can't get stuck in those things. Or maybe you're stuck in a past hurt of some kind. 
that has really deeply impacted the way that you hear the voice of God uh, in your life. And so being stuck in the past can really wear down our ability to, to hear the voice of God. Another one is this, bitterness. A lot of times people don't like this one. But bitterness, um, in that passage in Isaiah 43, it says, do not dwell. Um, here's what I know, is that um, when you're around uh, anyone who's been bitter, um, they're dwelling on something. And it's not the thing that they should be dwelling on. Uh, I remember it was, there was a point in my life that someone had deeply hurt uh, me, and um, I thought I was over it. But I wasn't really over it. I just hadn't seen them in like three years. When I saw them, something deeply, <laughs> I did not like what was inside of me when I saw them. And what I realized in that moment was like I had actually not gotten over it. I just hadn't seen them. And what was actually um, true about my heart in that moment was I was still bitter. I was still bitter. And, um, and so this whole idea of bitterness it works into our psyche and our hearts and our minds and begins to really shift. And so um, how many of you guys have been bitter at something before? Yeah, you might be now. I'm going to show you how you might be, um, possibly. Um, but there might have some level of bitterness. And guaranteed, you did not have a heart of God towards that other person that you're bitter against. And so bitterness begins to kind of ravage our souls. And so here are a few things of bitterness. Oh, let me say this about bitterness. Uh, not me. I'm going to read this quote. This guy, John Perkins, who's a, he's known as like a missiologist. He, he said something that I read like a long time ago, and I just read it down. I was like, this is the first generation to turn hate into an asset. This idea of like just being so bitter and hateful towards people, that's actually an asset, and we kind of bought into this. And it's like, no, this is like... It, Hate and bitterness, everything, that is like against the word of God. It's an anti-Christ behavior. And so you can pause for a second and say, now why do I support things that are actually really bitter towards someone else? Or really hateful towards someone else? And, and why have I gone along with some of that stuff? And, and we see this. But here's what bitterness does. Um, bitterness starts with a hurt. All right, bitterness starts with a hurt. And so that hurt that started your bitterness is a real hurt, is a real pain, is something to really take in. And so that is not diminishing a hurt in any kind of way. Um, so something happened uh, to you, um, either by your own choice or someone did something to you that caused this bitterness. Um, and it was a great hurt. And so we acknowledge that hurt and we've got to talk about that hurt. Um, the second thing is bitterness continues because of unforgiveness. Bitterness continues because of unforgiveness. Whenever I talk about unforgiveness, um, here's what's interesting about unforgiveness. We will maximize the sin of another person but minimize the sin of ourselves. And listen, unforgiveness only hurts us. Like if I have unforgiveness in my heart towards someone, it does not hurt the other person. They do not care. Unforgiveness only hurts me. And this unforgiveness then builds something inside of me. Now, let me say this about unforgiveness because this is like the other caveat whenever I mention unforgiveness. If something was like really awful, like abuse, um, something just horrible, 
I'm not saying that it is not a biblical concept to forgive and forget. I can't stand when people say that. So you can forgive someone but not forget what happened to you. So that not forgetting might mean like you set up boundaries. That not, so like someone might do something really bad, but guess what? If they need to go to jail, they need to go to jail. You can still forgive them and there could be consequences for their, anx- their actions. If there's a family member that done, has done something awful and, and like forgiveness needs to happen, but guess what? There could be consequences to that family member and that is okay. And so unforgiveness is not about being weak. Um, or I should say forgiveness is not about being weak. It's not about being a doormat. It's not about just letting things go. But I'm telling you, like, when bitterness, when you have an unforgiving heart and you have something that you've, you've, you've not forgiven someone over, um, it just chips away at your soul. It just keeps chipping away and it keeps chipping away. And then eventually what it'll turn into is bitterness towards somebody else. And bitterness will make us easily offendable and looking to be a, a victim. And so um, we see people get really negative and critical. And, uh, and so what we end up seeing is like, all right, well, bitterness, well, you kill bitterness with compassion, with forgiveness, with grace, and with wisdom. And so we see as this reality. So you can see how bitterness, if that's like kind of gripping our hearts, why it's really hard to hear the voice of God. If you're looking at someone else or you think about someone with just bitterness or you're looking at a grouping of people with bitterness, it's really hard to have the voice of, to have the voice of God really speaking into you uh, in the right way. And so um, another one there that um, we're going to continue with is like the following the wrong voices, following the wrong voices. So what stops us from hearing the voice of God? We want out of a transition. We lack prayer life. We're stuck in the past. We're bitterness, and we're following the wrong voices. Um, how many guys have followed the wrong voice before? Let me ask a better question. How many guys have dated someone you wish you hadn't? There you go. And so... We all at some point in time have followed the wrong voice. Um, sometimes following the wrong voice is your own voice. And you lie to yourself. Sometimes following the wrong voice comes out in pride. Sometimes um, it comes out in anger. Sometimes it comes from a grouping of people. Um, sometimes, you know, you think about the wrong voices um, are telling you uh, you're too busy to learn and to grow, to change, to serve. You know, there, there are these wrong voices that can happen. And when we're following these wrong voices, it impacts how we hear the voice of God. It's so easy. Um, obviously, social media is like an easy thing to tap into when it comes to the voices. But, you know, you think about how often, like, you, you look at someone who has a huge following, like a huge following, and you're listening to what they're saying, and it's like, it's insane what they're saying. Like, it makes no sense, but they have this huge following of people, and it's like, man, these people, are they're following the wrong voices. It can really become detrimental to hearing the voice of God. Jesus actually speaks into this a lot. It's this really cool story. Um, he is just kind of moving towards... Uh, the pinnacle of where his death and resurrection is about to happen. And, and things begin to really turn. See, Jesus has done all these miracles, and he's, he's really, like, dis- being disruptive to everything. And so he steps in, and uh, people start really questioning him. In, in particular, the religious leaders uh, really start questioning him. And so he starts talking in John chapter 10. And I love this passage so much. Uh, it says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. All right, so the Pharisees were the religious 
um, teachers at that time. He says, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep, look at this, listen to his voice. He, whoops. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Continues on, but they will never follow a stranger. Hmm. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. It's the same idea as in Isaiah. He's like, do you not perceive it? Do you not understand it? He's like, the sheep, those that are actually following me, they listen to the shepherd. They don't follow some other stranger. They don't follow another voice. They don't do that. They, they, they run away from it, actually. And he goes, do you understand that? And he's talking to these religious folks. He's like, do you understand that? And they didn't. He says, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said, very truly I tell you, I am the gate uh, for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. So he's like, man, all the people that have come in and said, I'm the Messiah, or I'm the Savior, or I'm going to lead you. He's like, they were thieves and robbers. They weren't actually me. And they weren't leading people in the right way. He says, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, uh, steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to uh, the full. And so a couple of things about this passage before, I'm just a little bit of background. When Jesus is talking in, uh, into these guys, there's two groupings of people that would have ended up hearing this story. It would have been Jewish folks um, on the front end, and then there would have been Gentile folks on the back end. And so when he's speaking in the Jewish listener would have been hearing to this, um, there are certain things about a shepherd that would have really stuck out to them. Shepherd was common language in uh, the Hebrew scriptures. Shepherds um, were everywhere. Shepherds um, were significant within a community. The shepherds really meant a lot. How many guys, um, when you think of a shepherd, do you think of a male or a female? Say it again. Okay. They were typically female, which is interesting. Now, typically, now were there male shepherds? Absolutely. No doubt. Um, but typically, they were actually uh, female shepherds. Um, but their, the shepherds were fascinating. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, is one of the most famous passages in Scripture. We're actually going to sing that psalm uh, and, when we end. But there's most famous passages. And even when you think about the shepherding that happened um, in that passage, it's like they, they say, um, they, they talk about this green pasture, right? Which we probably think about this lush thing. This lush pasture, but that's not actually what a shepherd would have been. And the shepherd would have been in a desert. And this green pasture might have been just like a little patch of, of green grass. And, and so what is he, the author of that psalm is trying to say, is like, no, I'm telling you, like when the shepherd comes in the desert, it, like in the toughest times that we have in life, you need to be able to hear the voice of God and the shepherd that will lead you into the right place. So in the toughest times in the desert, is when you kind of feel like you're in a green pasture, even though you're actually in the midst of a desert. Even when it talks about the streams of water, it's like, no, there weren't streams of water in the desert. There were, in the, there were like little still waters of like puddles of rain that had just happened. And it's like, 
But when you find that rain, you find that little puddle that ends up happening, it's like because the shepherd has led us there, what, it feels like you're in the stream. And it changes everything. It's like, man, the shepherd's voice is so important. Um, shepherds even could, could stand 70 to 100 yards behind the sheep and they could say something and sheep would come and follow. There's something just so significant here. And so a Jewish listener would be taking all this stuff in and they would be understanding the reality of who, what Jesus is trying to say here. And what's fascinating is why they get so mad and why they don't understand is that Jesus is coming in and he's disrupting their system. He's overturning their system of how they've kind of gone about this. And, and at that point in time, the religious leaders were starting to lead people astray because they were no longer hearing the voice of God. Now, to a Gentile listener as well, to someone who's part of Roman culture, Jesus was, they would have listened to the story in a, in a different way because they might not have had the same background of understanding the shepherd idea. Um, but what they did have was this. They had Greek mythology. And so on our left, they had the Greek god Pan, who I talked about a few months ago. Um, and then over here is Janus. And so um, the Greek god Pan was supposed to be uh, the god of the shepherds. And they would say that this Greek god Pan, that, that, that the shepherds knew his voice. And so Jesus coming in here, he'd be like, no, 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 no. No, no, I'm the, I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And the sheep know my voice. And so uh, a Roman listener would be like, oh, man, this is starting to change how I started thinking about this. And in, in the Greek god, uh, Janus, is the, um, is the god of transitions, of gates, of doors. And so Jesus is like, no, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm the gate. It's like, I enter through the gate. And so he's, he's switching everything. So these stories that Jesus is telling, it, there's like this bigger thing that he's doing to the system at play. And he's like, I want to overturn everything so that you can actually hear my voice. I want to disrupt your whole system so you can truly hear my voice of what I want to say to you. And so as he begins to lay out what happens when the sheep hear his voice, he says stuff like this. To know the voice of God is to be protected, to be full of life, and to be anointed. To be protected, to be full of life, and to be anointed. To protect. He says that the shepherd will protect his sheep. A hired hand won't. So the shepherd, then when we hear the voice of God, the good voice of God, that, that we understand what Jesus is trying to speak into our lives, we will be protected. Now, will you be protected uh, from making mistakes? No, not necessarily. I wish. I wish if we just took our faith so seriously that God would be like, no more mistakes for you, right? That's just not how it works. Here's how you'll be protected. Um, I'll give you a personal example. At the start of uh, COVID, um, we had just closed down the church. Uh, it had been, you know, a couple of weeks um, that we weren't meeting. Um, there was this guy that I knew who uh, kind of termed himself as like a prophet. And um, he would get word from, from the Lord. I was always a little hesitant with him, but, um, he, but some stuff sometimes seemed like it, it fit. This guy comes and delivers a word. He says, I have a word for God from you. And he delivers this wor word. And it was so, um, it, it was so intense that it almost made me quit. I almost, like, I literally got home, and this has never happened to me before in my life. I literally could not, for roughly 36 hours, I, could, I had, like, uncontrollable, like, I was just, like, weeping um, because of what this guy said. And, and, um, and I was having, like, this incredibly difficult time, and to the point of, like, I was just like, you know what? Someone else can lead the church. Um, it's not supposed to be me and everything. I got in a huge rut, and... Um, when I think about being protected, here's what started to happen. I, I, 
I, I told Lacey about it, obviously, um, and she had a conversation with me. I told uh, a couple other people in my life um, that are kind of in an advisory role in my life, and they started speaking to me in a, a way of like truly hearing the voice of God and what to say to me. And what ended up happening was they protected me. By them hearing the voice of God, by them sharing with me, like they protected me. And they protected my heart. They protected um, me against this person. Um, they protected in, in such a way that, you know, I remember one person saying to me, like, if you ever see this guy again, like, you make sure he doesn't say a word. If you ever see him any way with anywhere near your community, you should force him away, even if you have to physically do it. And I was like, all right, I'm in. You know, and so, um, but that's how serious it was. But what were they doing? They were, they were protecting me. Well, how are they protecting me? Because at a moment where this person, I believe, was just evil in nature and, and sent by Satan himself to try and disrupt my life, um, in a moment, it got me. And when that happened, um, I needed people who were really hearing the voice of God um, around me to, to protect me. And, and that's what happened. So we see that, like, man, when we're really hearing the voice of God, we stay protected. And we have people around us to help protect us. Um, to be full of life. Um, this is one of Lacey's favorite verses, John 10.10. 10. To be full of life. To be full of life is new experiences, new relationships, new learning, new wisdom, new hope, new truth, speaking over the lies that we tell ourselves. It's new. It's a fullness of life. You have a purpose. And then this idea of being anointed. Um, maybe you didn't think that way about yourself coming in here today. Um, but as a follower of Jesus, you will be anointed. To be anointed means to be in his presence. To be anointed means to have purpose for him. To be uh, anointed is to be like having empowered to do something significant. Um, here's how we typically think about our faith. We think this. Starts with Jesus, ends in heaven. And we're like, yay. Right? That is not how this works. It's not linear. This is how it actually works. That we have this circle in our faith, and Jesus is at the center of it, and he's also the starting point of it. And every time we go around the circle, we're centering our lives around Jesus, but we keep encountering Jesus, and there's this newness, this fullness that begins to happen. So don't think of your faith as this linear thing. It's actually this circular thing that keeps going and centering around Jesus, and you keep passing Jesus at every turn, in every situation, and it starts to change everything. You start saying, like, whoa, I'm anointed, I'm empowered, and every time I'm learning and I'm growing, and, and Jesus is starting to change something in me. And this verse in John uh, chapter 14 um, has just stuck with me, because if I'm honest, I don't know that I actually believe this to be true. But it's this verse that I'm just like, man, this is just crazy when he talks about this. He, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. That sounds good on the front end. But do you really believe that you are anointed and empowered, and do you really believe in the voice of Jesus, the voice of God, to say that you are empowered and anointed to do like the same works that he was doing, and even greater than what we see in scripture? Do you really believe it? Not like this is a cool verse to put on our fridge. I mean like really believe it in the core of your being. And a few months ago when I read that, I'll be honest, I don't think I really believed in the core of my being. I could 
teach on it. I could preach on it. I'm not sure that I believe it in the, the very core of my being that it's like, this is actually true. So, this is where it kind of turns for us. To hear the voice of God, to be in touch with the voice of God, to, to be in line with the voice of God, then all of a sudden, we start seeing the way God wants us to see. We start living the way God wants us to live, and all of a sudden, we are protected because we're in community together, that we are full of life, and that we are anointed, we are empowered. Why? Because we are listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd, and we know his voice. So as the band comes back up, I want us to just pause here for a second because I want us to just think about before we sing this last song. This song will um, kind of work through the Psalm 23 um, as we sing it. What I want us to pause and reflect on before we sing is this. Where's there evidence in your life that you're not recognizing the voice of the shepherd. Where's the evidence in your life where you're not recognizing the voice of the shepherd? Is it at work? Is it a relationship? Is it your own inner critic? God wants to speak to you today and we just have to wonder whether or not we're actually open to listen. So will you stand and sing this last song?